All right, go ahead and open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, man, I'm trying to get all set up here. Okay, Revelation chapter three. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we are uh, doing a sermon series called Letters from Jesus, talking about, um, we did our first week in Revelation chapter one, and then we've been looking at the seven letters that Jesus dictated to the churches in Revelation chapter two and three, and uh, we've only got two more. So we've got this week and next week. I hope you've been encouraged and uh, blessed by this series so far. I know I've been learning so much uh, this week we are doing the church in Philadelphia. Sounds familiar? Finally, something that sounds familiar in the book of Revelation. We are going to start off by reading our text for this morning. So if you're open to Revelation chapter 3, go ahead and stand up for the reading of the word of God. And if you're not there, that's okay. You can still stand up. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you that these aren't just dead words on old pages, but that these are living and active words because you are living and active today and you are here with us. Not because of anything we've done, but by your glorious grace. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. We're asking that we would be hungry and open to hear from you, tune our ears towards you. Anywhere that anybody in here, including me, isn't hungry to hear from you, just come make us hungry. And uh, we, are, we are choosing right now, we're, we're in right now. We're, we're here to hear, we're here to respond, and we want what you have to lead us in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, go ahead and take a seat. All right, as we get started this morning on uh, letter number six of seven, we're gonna do a little bit of review as we've made a habit this series to first review what is the book of Revelation. We talked about this in depth in our first week in the series, so if you want more than just the review, you'll, you can go back and listen to that. But the book of Revelation can be a little intimidating, and it can get a little bit of a bad reputation, and so we figured we were going to start this series in chapter one and say, okay, God, how about you tell us what the book of Revelation is? Instead of just somebody else out there, my feelings or my opinions, let's hear from God about what the book of Revelation is. And so uh, you may have this in your notes already. I encourage you to write it down again, because I know I need to hear things several times. And this is going to help us uh, put, our, put the right glasses on, the right lens 
lenses through which to read and hear God through his, through his word this morning. Revelation is about Jesus. It's not about Black Hawk helicopters and COVID vaccines. It's about Jesus. Who's it to? It is to his servants. Uh, chapter one tells us that these letters that we're reading are obviously all addressed to specific churches in a specific time, but just like the rest of the word of God it is written to us today because it is alive and active, chapter one says to his servants, that includes you and me as we follow him. How do we understand the book of Revelation? We understand it through the Old Testament. The old, uh, Revelation has more Old Testament allusions than the rest of the New Testament combined. It has 404 verses and over 500 allusions to the Old Testament. We don't read the book of Revelation through the newspaper. We read it through the Bible. Who's it from? It is not just from John who had a wild vision one time. It is from God. These are his words to us. That's why they are relevant to us. They are powerful for us. Why did God give us the weird book of Revelation with all these symbols and signs? He did it for his glory. We are here for his glory. We aren't here for us and for our own lives. We aren't even reading the Bible for us in our own lives. We are here this morning for the glory of God. We gather for the glory of God. We want to hear his word, not just so we can have a good life and leave encouraged. We want to be shaped for the glory of God. Why? Because he's coming. He is coming. He is coming. And he is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And so his opinion matters most. And we want to be shaped by him. As we move into this letter this morning, I want to do one final bit of review about how do we read these letters. They all kind of have a general, a similar general flow, and it's been shaping how we go through these letters. So I hope that this outline is helpful for you as we kind of hit one thing at a time. Hopefully it all kind of comes glued together there at the end. Um, and we don't just read, right? We're not just reading Revelation verses isolated one at a time and kind of making stuff up about it, right? We want to read the whole conversation. So the letters they start, including our letter this morning, it starts with an introduction of Jesus. And what have, we, what have we been saying this whole time? It's always different, but it's never random. It might be random to you, but it's purposeful from God. So it starts with an introduction. And then the general flow is that it goes into an encouragement that Jesus gives the church. If you were here last week, we skipped the encouragement part. Church didn't get an encouragement last week, a little bit of a downer. Then after the encouragement, there is, um, there is a rebuke. We kind of flip the script this time. This week, we don't get a rebuke. We just get the encouragement, and we all like that part, right? But generally, we've got the introduction, the encouragement, a rebuke, and then when there is a rebuke, then there is a call to repent, which is such a gift. Big, scary church word, repent, right? But repentance is the invitation of Jesus to walk in his power in the ways he's called us to. That's good news, uh, that the Bible's not just like, hey, stop it. Right. <laughs> he is the way forward. He gives us power and invitation to do the things that he's called us to. He's not expecting you to repent and turn from your sin in your own power. God has given us grace this morning to walk in the fruitful life that he has called us to by his spirit. And then the letter ends, all the letters end with a promise for the faithful. For those who will stay faithful to the name of Jesus, there is a promise now and for eternity. Amen. I like that. So we're going to get into this. And uh, man, every week I feel like I'm more excited than the week before. So this is just full of such good stuff. 
So we're going to be starting in verse 7, Revelation chapter 3. I know we've read it, but now we're going to work our way through it. So as we get into the introduction this morning, I know I've said it, but again, there's always uh, things in the book of Revelation, and this morning as we read this, revelation, uh, this introduction, there are things in here that might be a little foreign to you, a little odd to you, but we must believe and remember that they are not random. In the introduction in each letter, Jesus is specifically and intentionally introducing, or I'm sorry, he's intentionally introducing specific things about himself that are relevant to the message, the overall message he's trying to get across in a specific letter. He's not just spouting off random cool things about him. So the introduction is always a sneak peek of where we headed here. What's going on in this church? Why did Jesus need to write to them? What is it that he needs to write to them about? What should we expect to be taught or corrected in as we read this letter? So can we look at the introduction with those eyes this morning, expecting to get something out of it? He is introducing himself that is combating things, combating persecution, combating heresy that to the church that he is writing to. And in verse seven, it starts to like this. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens. We learn three things about Jesus. He wants us to know three things about himself as we get started in this letter. Three things that we need to keep in the forefront of our mind as we read the rest of this letter. First of all, Jesus wants us to know he is the Holy One. The Holy One. Those are three very big little words. The Holy One. So apparently we can understand and infer that, a, that there's a challenge that this church is encountering to this truth. Something or somebody is challenging the fact that Jesus is the Holy One. We should be expecting to learn about this. The church must be facing something questioning the holiness of Jesus. And as Jesus begins, he makes it clear to us, the one who is speaking, these are the words of the Holy One. The Holy One. He is the Holy One, which means he defines holiness. He is the standard of holiness. He is the judge of holiness. And should anyone or anything have anything holy about him, it is only from Jesus. He is the holy one. Number two, we learn Jesus is the true one. The true one. Again, this tells us that we're not very far into the letter, but there must be a challenge that this church is facing against the assertion that Jesus made himself that he is the truth. I preached a sermon to you this year on January 10th called Following Jesus in a Postmodern, Post-Christian World about this very topic. Jesus in his life on earth, what did he say? I am the truth. Revelation chapter three, he reminds us and underscores again, I am the true one. He would only need to repeat himself if it's something that we need to continually remember. He would only need to repeat himself if it's something that people or things or systems or cultures are trying to discredit, trying to deny. But Jesus starts off, I am the true one. Philadelphia, 
like us, is facing opposition to our belief that Jesus is the true one, the standard of truth, the source of truth. For truth to be truth, it must be absolute. The world doesn't need your truth. The world doesn't need my truth. You don't need your truth. And I don't need my truth. The world needs the truth. And there is nothing more absolute than Jesus Christ, the true one. Number three, who has the key of David, who opens up and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. And now we get to the weird revelation stuff, right? I'm like, okay, the holy one, the true one, sounds like good old Bible stuff. I'm familiar with that. Now we got keys of David and all this kind of doors and things. So since it's confusing, that doesn't mean we just run around, read the newspaper, come up with our own ideas and define what this looks like, right? What do we do? It's time to study the Bible. It's time to study the Bible because what does the Bible do? The Bible teaches us the Bible. So we're gonna do some Bible study this morning because we're not here for the cheap stuff. We wanna know what Jesus is really saying because if he's gonna show up and introduce himself in a specific way, it's probably worth knowing. It's probably worth understanding. And so we're going to do some Bible study this morning. So this introduction of Jesus here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, if you remember from our first week in chapter 1, you would see kind of an obvious parallel of how Jesus introduces himself in Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, where it says this, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. You see the parallel there. And some of you may be looking at that and saying, eh, I mean, it's sort of the same, but it's sort of not the same. There's some differences here, but I want I wanna you to hear me say something right now because I know that you care about being able to read the Bible and know what it says. And so we're gonna say something very plainly this morning. Laziness would call this difference a contradiction, but our study is gonna show that it's actually just a development. And I want you to understand that when you read the Bible. Sometimes you read things and it's like, oh, it's the same, but it's a little different. They're not contradictions. You gotta dig in because what God's doing is he's developing something. He's developing an idea he's trying to communicate to you. He's developing a truth. He's underscoring something. He's repeating himself. It's not random. It's not random. So what is Jesus developing here in introducing himself? Because think about it. He said it himself in Revelation chapter one. Now he's saying it again in Revelation chapter three. I would think Jesus is perfectly capable of quoting himself accurately. So if he's not doing it exactly the same, maybe he's trying to hit the same thing from a different angle. So what are you trying to sell us, Jesus? What Jesus is doing in these two introductions and the introductions in all the letters to understand what he's doing in these parallel introductions, we need to focus on the two elements of these parallel statements, and then we're going to put it back together. So if we want to accurately dig into what he's telling us, we, try to, we got to try to look at these two things. We've got keys, right? Y'all saw that. We got keys in both places, but it looks like maybe we got different keys. So we're going to dig into the keys, and then we've got David slash death and Hades. So we're going to dig into those two things and try to put them back together. Can I take you on a journey this morning? So let's talk about the keys because it's going to help us. I'm going to make you think today because Jesus cares about what your mind. You're not just here to feel stuff because when you walk out, you're going to stop feeling something. 
but he's trying to plant something in your mind that you would be transformed by the renewing, not of your feelings, not of your emotions, but of your mind. He's trying to teach you how to think, something you can take with you. Hallelujah. So listen, we got a lot of pieces, but like we said all series, we've been doing the cooking show. You know, we got the onions, we got the, what we could do in today, pulled pork. Lasagna was a couple weeks ago, we'll do some pulled pork today. We got a lot of elements going on and it's not gonna come together till the very end because that's how Jesus likes to cook. So we're gonna talk about these keys, but pay attention because what we're gonna, it's gonna connect the dot now, but it's also gonna help us a little bit later uh, to what we're gonna get to here in a few more minutes. Okay, so this is not a trick question. What is the book of Revelation about? Good job. Revelation 1 verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. We've seen through chapter one, we've seen through all these letters that the most consistent thing that, re- that is revealed to us about Jesus is that he has all authority. If there were one thing that Jesus is trying to reveal ourselves to summarize, okay, so verse one tells us this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's, what's the overall thing he's trying to reveal to us? If I were to just skip all the chapters and I just wanted the super spark note, give me one word, authority. Authority. Jesus has all authority. This is the main thing he's getting at us, getting, getting to us in the book of Revelation and through all of the introductions to these letters. To review, Ephesus, what does he say? Who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. In Smyrna, I have a question for you. Who is the first and the last who died and came to life? Not a trick question. We're in church. The answer is Jesus. Jesus, yes, yes, okay. Pergamum, who has the sharp two-edged sword? Thyatira, who is the son of God who who has eyes like flames of fire and feet like burnished bronze? In Sardis, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars? In Philadelphia, who is the holy one? Who is the true one? Who has the keys? Jesus. Jesus is in charge. That's what we're getting at here. My daughter learned about patterns this year in kindergarten. Are we seeing the pattern? Yes. The book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus' authority. And all through the book, there's all kinds of different symbols that are getting at this main bottom line, this idea of his authority. The most dominant symbol that you're going to see as you read through the book of Revelation referring to authority is uh, is thrones. You're going to see a lot of thrones if you read through the book of Revelation. But there's also a lot of other things that are hitting on this same idea. Uh, For example, robes which we've seen in several of our letters so far, keys, which we're looking at right now, and crowns, which we're gonna look at here in a few minutes. So whoever has the keys rules over whatever he has the keys to, right? Whoever holds the keys has authority over what he has the keys to. So Jesus has the key. That's what he's saying. I have the key. I'm in charge of. I'm the king of. I'm the gatekeeper of. I have authority over David and death and Hades. So let's dig into those now. We've got the keys. Jesus has authority. When he says, I have the keys of David, it should remind us of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne, authority of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You ever heard that at Christmas time? Talking about Jesus. This is what he's saying. I, I have the keys. That throne that was promised before I was even born, now I've lived, died, resurrected, and ascended, and they're still mine. The prophecy still holds. It's still true. I have the keys. David language in the Bible is speaking to us about the kingdom of God, about his sovereignty over all of all things and over his people. So Jesus is saying that I have the keys to the kingdom. I have the keys to the kingdom. He is the ruler and the gatekeeper of the kingdom of God. No one can shut the door that he opens to the kingdom. The way that Jesus says is the way in, it's the way in. And no one can open the door he shuts to the kingdom. The way that, doesn't, that he doesn't say is the way in, it's not the way in. He is the way. He holds the keys to the kingdom. And, and he has the keys to death in Hades. He has conquered the spiritual rulers, powers, and kingdoms of death in Hades. They have been stripped of their authority and Jesus holds the key to salvation. Jesus holds the key to eternal life. These powers, these rulers, these authorities, these places, these kingdoms, they don't control the gates anymore. Jesus has the keys. Why? Because he's the first and the last. He died, but then he rose again, and now he is the living one, and behold, he is alive forevermore. What are death and Hades going to do about that? There is one George, one judge, there is one Lord over everyone and everything, and it is Jesus. In this introduction, we are getting, to put it lightly, a hint a hint that there is a heresy or multiple heresies and there is pressure coming against the church at Philadelphia that is denying Jesus' identity. He is not the Holy One and he is not the true one. Denying his authority. He is not the one who holds the keys to salvation, eternal life in the kingdom of God and altering the message of salvation. They are shutting the door on Jesus and trying to open up other doors into the things of God, the presence of God, the glory of God, the kingdom of God, the ways of God, the voice of God. I know we've taken a lot of time on this, but my friends, you are living in this world. You are living in the same world as the church in Philadelphia, a world that is denying Jesus' identity, denying Jesus' authority, and trying to alter the message of salvation. And I implore you as we continue this morning to listen attentively to the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. Can we listen to that voice this morning? Yes. Now let's get into the message. Verse eight, I know your works. I hope you like them. <laughs> I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. 
I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. I'm encouraged by that, all right? What are their works? Jesus likes their works. I want Jesus to like my works. What are the works? What are their works? They have kept his word and they have not denied his name. If you've been here for the last several weeks, again, are you seeing a pattern, anybody, in these encouragements? In the thing that Jesus loves when he sees it in his people. He loves when he looks at his people and he sees his people keeping his word and not denying his name. We can get so intimidated by that first phrase. That's why, you know, I stop on it. It's like, I know your works. It's like, oh, we're probably in trouble. You know, I know your works. It's like, oh God, I don't know if I want God to know my works. I thought this wasn't by works. I, we just need the grace because we need the grace because my works. <laughs> I'm really gonna cut it. We can get so scared. Anybody kind of gets scared. It's like, Jesus is like, I know your works. Yes. Let's look at those. You're like, mm, let's look at somebody else's. <laughs> called Facebook. <laughs> That's why we made it, right? Okay, we won't go down that line. Okay. We can get so intimidated by the fact that Jesus knows our works, that he will repay us according to our works. He will judge us according to our works. And we're like, oh no, what are the works that Jesus likes? How many dead people do I have to raise? How, how many times a month do I have to be in church to get the thumbs up from God? How much money do I have to give? How many times do I need to read through the Bible? What are the works? Because I'm getting nervous. What are the works? What are the works? He tells us right here. Do not deny his name. Do not deny his name. Do not deny that he is the Holy One, the true one, the one who holds the keys. Don't deny it. And keep his word. What's his word? There is one door. There is one door. The key holder has opened it to you. Turn aside from everything else and walk through it. Do not deny his name and keep his works. They have remained faithful and loyal in the midst of persecution, in the midst of cultural pressure, in the midst of heresies that are trying to manipulate this message of Jesus. And we must also remain faithful, my friends. Because... Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. We've already covered this idea of what's the synagogue of Satan here. We talked about it in Smyrna because the same thing is referenced there, but we'll do a little bit of review. The synagogue of Satan, it's a, it's a reference to Jewish people who were persecuting both Gentile and Jewish believers in Jesus, and they were doing it by leveraging the ungodly secular authorities of the Roman Empire. So as all of these Christians are, are turning to Jesus, as the church is being born, and they're preaching the gospel that Jesus is the promised one, the Messiah, and now we all get to be children of God through this one man, the key holder, the gatekeeper, Jesus, the holy one, the true one. This is his name, the one promised to us. God has come. Okay. <laughs> 
People are turning and they're receiving the grace of God, being adopted as children into the kingdom of God. And the, some of the Jews of the day didn't like it. They wanted to be the people of God based on their ethnicity, based on their merit, based on things that they were holding on to. Jesus told us that they, they uh, rejected him in favor of their own traditions. Can you imagine such a thing? A culture where people would reject Jesus in favor of their own traditions, emotions, feelings, preferences, ideas, philosophies, ideas, and thoughts, and modern interpretations of scripture that no one's ever thought of before until these smart people came along. He says, it's a synagogue of Satan because they're denying my name and they're trying to keep you from keeping my word. They have rejected him. In that day, he was talking specifically of these Jews who, who by virtue of rejecting Jesus have rejected Yahweh, the God that they claim to be the people of. And he says that they, they, they're saying that they're Jews. In other words, they're saying that they are my people, but they are not. We can say that we are his people, but if we reject him, we are not his people. And they are lying. They are lying because they are calling themselves the people of God based on ethnicity and merit, but no one has ever belonged to God by anything other than faith. No one has ever been welcomed into the glory of God based on ethnicity or merit or anything else. Anyone who has ever belonged to God has only belonged to him by faith, by not denying his name and by keeping his word. And Jesus promises his people at Philadelphia that everyone who has denied Jesus Everyone who has tried to open doors that he has shut and shut doors that he has opened will bow down before Jesus in the end. And when that happens, all of these people who have denied him and manipulated him and created distractions for his people, cursed his people, persecuted his people, hated his people, put other labels on his people, who... All, all of these people who, who did not be deterred by all of those things, but held fast to his name and held fast to his works, all of them will see in the end that it was actually the ones that they cursed that Jesus loved. Jesus says, if you just hold fast, they will see in the end that it is you that I have loved. It is not them based on their own message of salvation. They have rejected my name. They have not kept my word. And in the end, they will see that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. There is an hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. We will all stand before him. We will all stand before him. Everyone will stand before him and Jesus will try all of those who have dwelled on earth to see if there might be faith in them. What is it that Jesus is testing for in that moment? What is it that Jesus is looking for? What is it that we get these images of being tried by fire, of, of being purified, of being tested, of being blown on, of, of going through a trial like a courtroom? What is it that we are being tried for? It is Jesus is looking for faith. He's looking for faith. Will, will I find faith? Will I find that you held fast to my name? Jesus promises right here, those who patiently endure in this life by keeping his word and, and, that, and that do not deny his name in this life, they will be kept. They will be found in him. 
in that hour. There will be no better place to be found in that hour but in the name of the one who is the judge. I will keep you. And that is where we will be found in that hour of trial by his great and glorious grace. But the fact that we are called now to patiently endure would suggest that that test has actually already begun. What is God's will for your life? That you pass the test. That you pass the test. That you would patiently endure the attack and the lies of the synagogue of Satan and that you would keep his word and not deny his name. That's God's will for your life. Don't deny his name. Keep his word. And in so doing, that you would walk through the open door that he has set before you into the kingdom of God and eternal life. Not because you have great power. He knows you only have a little power. But by faith in his holy and true name, that is God's will for your life. The hour of testing is here. Pleasure is a test. Persecution to test. Provision, promotion, difficulty, pain, disappointment, success, happiness, anger, joy, gain, fear, failure, culture, emotions, pressure. It's all testing you. What's in there? Not there, there. What's in there? And I'm not saying that all of those things are from God all the time, but I am saying that all of those things are a test. And it is God's will for your life that you stand in the test, that you patiently endure the test by not denying his name and keeping his word. It's all testing you. And the final hour of trial is coming. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. That no one may seize your crown. Sounds like someone's walking up to me with bad intentions, trying to take something that's rightfully mine that I shouldn't let them have, right? Okay, so let's read it like that. I don't know about you, but I can just glance over stuff sometimes. But that's like kind of some intense language. Like, okay, don't let anybody steal your wallet. You're like, whoa, was that up for debate? Is this, is this happening right now? Is that, like, I thought I was in church. I thought I was okay. Like, I wouldn't have expected somebody to be trying to steal my wallet right here, right now. So read it like that. Don't let anybody seize your crown. Do you understand that anything and anybody that would try to lure you to deny the name of Jesus or not keep his word is trying to steal something from you. What is the agenda of the enemy? Steal, kill, destroy. Not a lot of wiggle room. Don't let anybody seize your crown. I'm coming soon, so hold fast. Hold fast. Don't let anybody seize your crown. You have been given salvation. 
You have been given forgiveness of sins. You have been given adoption as a child of God. You have been given a place in his kingdom. And what this is saying is that there is now a crown that has been set before you. And maybe you've grown up in church and you've heard about crowns in heaven and treasures in heaven and that's all true and that's great. And I think sometimes we only talk about it that like if, if I'm faithful in this life, then like I get a crown, like I would get a reward, which is true, but it's like I'm storing up these trophies, you know, that like signify something that are valuable and all that stuff. And, and that is true, but that misses the most important part. It's not not true. That's great and, and amazing. But, but Jesus is hitting on so much more than trophies, What are crowns a symbol of? Authority. They're not just trophies. They mean something. Keys carry something. Whoever has the keys has authority. Whoever's wearing the crown has authority. Jesus doesn't just want to give you trophies when you get to heaven. He wants to share rulership of his eternal kingdom with you. Don't ask me why. That's just what the Bible says. You are a co-heir of the kingdom of God. When you keep his works and you do not deny him, you aren't so much earning a reward as you are holding fast to the eternal calling in Christ Jesus that Satan is trying to steal from you. When something or somebody is telling you deny Jesus, they're trying to take the authority of Jesus that he got from the Father, that the Father gave him, that he is now wanting to give to you. Frankly, you can have my trophies. I'll just go win another one, right? No, but what if this isn't that? What if this isn't so flippant? What if this isn't so light? What if this is everything? What if this is everything? What, what, if, what if the test is because God is shaping you now for the authority he wants to give you in eternity? Don't let anybody steal it from you. Don't let anybody seize it from you. You've been marked as a child of God and a co-heir with Jesus of his kingdom. There is a crown laid up for you. There is a door set open for you. There is a white robe waiting for you. Hold fast. I'm coming soon. Don't let go. Don't let go. Hold fast. I'm coming so soon. And the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you remember a previous letter, we saw this idea of getting a new name in the church in Pergamum, that we were gonna get a a, a white stone with a new name written on it. And now we get more of an explanation because what is God doing? He's, He's revealing himself and developing this idea. He's saying, I'm not giving Andrew a new name, Andrew. No, in eternity, I'm not gonna hold you in your name. I'm gonna hold you in mine. And what he lists off here, these are all different aspects of the same promise where he's saying, if you will just hold fast now temporarily for all of eternity, I will hold fast to you. 
I will hold fast to you. You will be found with me. You will be found in me. You will be under my name. You will be sharing in my authority. You will be part of my kingdom. You will live in my city. You will be one of my children. You will walk in my presence. Hold fast. Hold fast because I am coming so soon. Just hold fast. What does this have to do with you? In Smyrna and in Philadelphia, they're facing the challenge of the synagogue of Satan. And like Smyrna in Philadelphia, you are living every, living every day under the same heresies of the synagogue of Satan. You are living in a culture that is preaching to you and putting pressure on you and increasingly trying to pull you into denying the identity of Jesus. Deny the authority of Jesus and alter this message of salvation. You are living in a world, in a culture that is trying to shut the door on the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And they are trying to open other doors of salvation to you. Telling you that you need to do other things, say other things, be in other places, know other people, look a different way, act a different way. If you want to open the door of cultural salvation, they are forcing something on you. There is no political party, person, ideology, philosophy, public opinion, social movement, personal agenda, cultural moment, ethnic background, social media hashtag that holds the keys to your salvation. Listen to me, church. My goal is that you leave out of here so rock solid that all you got to do is hold fast to Jesus that you can go live your life this week. That's why I'm talking really loud. I'm not mad at you, but I do hate the synagogue of Satan that's trying to seize your crown from you. There is no political party. There is no person, ideology, philosophy, public opinion, social movement, personal agenda, cultural moment, ethnic background, social media hashtag that holds the keys to your salvation. The door to salvation is open to you, but it is not based on how you vote, what your skin color is or isn't, your ancestral background is or isn't, what you feel, what you think, what you want, what you prefer, or whoever told you what you really wanted to hear to make you feel good and affirm what you already thought. Red and yellow, black and white, none of us are holy in his sight. Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the true one holds the keys to eternal life and death. He has secured eternal life for you. And he has set before you an open door. He has set before you an open door that you might walk through it. And everlasting death can only be experienced by rejecting that offer. By holding on to other hopes by trying to create other open doors and not walking through the open door that the almighty key holder has lovingly laid before you. 
There is nothing in heaven, earth, or hell that can close the door that Jesus has opened for you. And there is nothing in heaven, earth, or hell that can open up another door for you. No matter what comes, my friends, keep his name. Do not deny his word. Don't let anyone or anything seize your crown from you. And be encouraged, my brothers and my sisters. That moment when he comes or we go to stand before him, it is coming so soon. Andrew, how do you know? What's the date? When's the time? When's it going to be? I don't know. All I know is the second it comes, it's going to feel real soon. What other moment will matter once that moment comes? All others will fade away so fast that no matter how many moments it is between now and then, it will only be this one that matters. It is coming so soon. And when it does, you will be held in his glorious name. You will be found in the holy name of Jesus. You will be defined by the truth of Jesus. You will be welcomed in through the door of Jesus. And everything and everyone that tried lying to you, condemning you, cursing you, distracting you, discouraging you all this time, they will learn that he loves you. I want you to stand as we close this morning. We're going to have our prayer team come and be available if there's anything you need to respond to in the word of God this morning. But my prayer for you is that you would be filled with a conviction from the Holy Spirit. This conviction, I'm not letting go. So would our prayer team come on up? If you need prayer for anything in your life, these people would love to pray for you. But these aren't throwaway moments. These are the moments that matter. Let's let this seal in our heart. You might need to come up. You might not. I don't care what it looks like. It doesn't matter for me. But what do you need to do with Jesus right now by the power of the Holy Spirit? Lord, come and open up our eyes to hear you. Open up our hearts to see you and lead us into a conviction that never denies your name, that always keeps your word. And I'm asking God, that you would give us just the little power we need to hold on that no one would seize this crown from us. In Jesus' name.